Christchurch, New Malden, 28th of February 2021. Anna Larkin speaking on What can we do about our waste? We all know that waste is a problem. That won't be news to anybody. However, I personally was surprised to learn just how big a problem it is. In 2019, Tear Fund published a report on waste that began with three shocking statistics. Every 30 seconds, the UK throws away two double-decker busloads of plastic waste. That's just plastic waste, not general waste. Every 30 seconds, 30 double-decker busloads of plastic are burned or dumped in developing countries. Lots of that plastic waste has been exported by wealthier countries, like the UK. And finally, every 30 seconds, one person dies from diseases caused by mismanaged waste. Diseases like diarrhoea, malaria, heart disease and cancer. That's up to a million people a year. When our rubbish gets exported to third world countries, it's not just an environmental issue. It's a global justice issue as well. When that rubbish is then burned, producing toxic fumes that contribute to the greenhouse effect and pollute the air that other people breathe, causing respiratory diseases and cancer. That's not just an environmental issue. It's a global justice issue as well. When the rubbish is dumped, it slowly decomposes over hundreds of years, never completely disappearing. It leaches pollutants into the soil and collects pools of stagnant water on the surface creating the perfect breeding ground for malaria and dengue-carrying mosquitoes. It's not just an environmental issue, it's a global justice issue as well. When the runoff from rubbish dumps poisons the water that other people drink, and plastic rubbish blows into rivers and oceans, blocking waterways and drains, it results in illness, flooding and landslides. It's not just an environmental issue, it's a global justice issue as well. In Becky's fantastic talk last week on reducing CO2 emissions, she talked about how the people suffering most as a consequence of global warming are the ones who have done the least to contribute to it. She referred to the passage in Matthew in which Jesus explained that the greatest commandment, our top priority as Christians, is to love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our mind and to love our neighbour as ourself. At this time of climate crisis, we can demonstrate our love for both God and our neighbours by caring for creation in any way we can. We can engage our hearts, souls and minds in doing whatever we can to mitigate the damage inflicted on our planet by the waste that we produce, and at the same time ease the suffering and hardship experienced by our global neighbours, who have done the least to cause this crisis, but are the ones living and dying with its consequences. So what can we do? As I was researching this issue, it struck me that the best place to start was to try and find out where it's all gone wrong. Why has waste become such a big issue? So I went right back to the beginning. When God created the world, right at the centre of his plan for creation is the idea of a circular economy, sometimes also called a restorative economy. God created a world in which nothing goes to waste and everything is useful and valuable. When any living thing, from humans and animals, through plants, right down to microscopic organisms, comes to the end of its life, 
It provides nutrients for another part of the system. God designed our earth to be, in effect, a perfect recycling system. Everything is used and nothing is wasted. But when we look at the way that we live at the moment, the world we've effectively created for ourselves, it's a largely linear system. We take from the world to make a product that we will use and then dispose of. The vast majority of the things that we buy in the shops, the things we fill our homes with, fit this model. We buy a gadget or an item of clothing or a toy, we use it for a while, and then when it breaks or wears out or something better comes along, we throw it away. When this happens, all of the resources that went into making the product, energy, metals, water, are lost. In contrast, a circular system, one modelled on the world that God created, is designed to be restorative, using the Earth's resources carefully, respectfully and efficiently, and finding value and worth in the products throughout their life cycles. I found this image, which illustrates it really well. As you can see, in a linear economy, things end up straight in the bin. Single-use, non-recyclable plastics are a great example of this. The world's resources are used to create a product that's designed to be used once and then thrown away, existing for hundreds of years as it breaks down into smaller and smaller pieces that seemingly never quite disappear altogether. In a recycling economy, things are created, but they stick around for longer, going round and round for a while, before they also eventually end up in the bin. It's worth remembering that even things like paper, which are easy to recycle, can't be recycled indefinitely. Paper is made up of long fibres, and every time it's recycled, those fibres get shorter and shorter, which makes it harder to recycle the next time. Printer paper, for example, can be recycled on average about seven times before it's no longer any use. And finally, in a circular economy, products go round and round forever and nothing ends up in the bin. It's really difficult to make products work like this. It's a huge area of research at the moment and some big steps have been made in the right direction with things like compostable food packaging. So this is the way that things are hopefully heading, but it will be a long time before we're able to live like that on a daily basis. And this, I think, is the key to how we need to tackle waste. We're not God, so we're never going to create a totally perfect system, although it's definitely something worth aiming for. But using the model of creation as an example of the best possible way to live and to interact with the world around us is a brilliant place to start. So what are the practical things we can do about it? I'm sure we've all heard of the three R's, reduce, reuse, recycle. As people have become more aware of the climate emergency, more R's have been added to this list. The number varies depending on where you look. So I have scoured the internet, compiled a long list of R's and then whittled it down to my favourites. There are dozens to choose from, but I have settled on seven. It's the biblical number of perfection, after all, so it seemed as good a number as any. So here they are, my seven R's to tackle waste and save the planet. Refuse, reduce, reuse, repair, repurpose, recycle, rethink. These, I suggest, are the key values that underpin a Christian response to the problem of waste. 
So the first step is to refuse and reduce. This sounds easy enough, but our society just isn't even remotely geared up for this kind of lifestyle. This hasn't always been the case, which suggests that change is possible. During the Second World War, the British Ministry of Information issued a pamphlet called Make Do and Mend. It was intended to provide housewives with useful tips on how to be both thrifty and stylish in times of harsh rationing. It advised people on how to create decorative patches to cover holes in old garments, how to unpick old jumpers and re-knit them into trendy new alternatives, and even how to turn men's clothing into women's. There are, of course, lots of people who remember these times and who are a mine of information when it comes to making the most of what you have. I've seen this modelled by my grandparents. Their generation has a huge amount to teach us in the area of reducing our waste. Sadly, it was immediately after the Second World War that consumerism, a culture in which the primary activity and focus is consuming things rather than producing them, kicked in as a way to reboot the struggling economy. In America in particular, factories that had been producing weapons suddenly lay idle and soldiers were returning from war with no jobs to go to. Economists decided that the best way to revive economic activity was to create a culture in which people were encouraged to accumulate and show off material wealth. And this was when advertising really kicked off as well. So that physical possessions became markers of status in society, basically turning what we have into who we are. The economist Victor Lebeau said in 1955, Our enormously productive economy demands that we make consumption our way of life, that we convert the buying and use of goods into rituals, that we seek our spiritual satisfaction and our ego satisfaction in consumption. We need things consumed, burned up, worn out, replaced and discarded at an ever-increasing rate. Well, it looks like he succeeded. It's not hard to imagine these same words coming from the mouths of our own leaders and politicians as we seek to rebuild our economy after the pandemic is over. Essentially, we're a consumerist society, constantly wanting more from a finite planet that is struggling to keep up with our demands, and the effects are devastating. Ruth Valerio, in her book L is for Lifestyle, says this. Consumerism affects our faith, and the danger for us is that we develop a compartmentalised Christianity that makes no connection between our faith on a Sunday morning and how we spend our money the rest of the week. She goes on to quote Tom Wright, who warns of a faith that becomes focused on me and my survival, my sense of God, my spirituality, rather than outwards on God and God's world that still needs the kingdom message so badly. As I've already mentioned, it's not just an environmental issue, it's a justice issue. The waste generated by our out-of-control consumerism plays a significant role in keeping people living in poverty in other parts of the world. Slavery, sweatshops, inhumane working conditions, all of these are intrinsically linked by our demand to buy more and to pay less for it. The Bible encourages us to be content with what we have and warns us against jealousy. It tells us that our sense of security should ultimately come from our faith in God's care and provision for us, 
not from things that money can buy. Romans 12 tells us that the best way to live is not to copy the behaviour and customs of this world, but to let God transform us into new people by changing the way that we think. And part of this transformation can come from a commitment to refuse and reduce. We can refuse as much as possible to buy things that contribute to a wasteful economy. We can refuse disposable coffee cups or takeaway containers by taking our own reusable ones. In fact, more and more reusable solutions are appearing on the market. We have a coffee machine that takes single-use plastic pods. I did a bit of research online and found that there are a whole range of reusable, refillable pods that are compatible with our coffee machine, so we've switched to using those instead. Similarly, the online second-hand market has exploded in recent years. If there's something that you need or want, whether it's clothing, furniture, gadgets, toys, there's a really good chance that you can buy it secondhand, negating the carbon emissions produced by the manufacturing of the product, preventing a perfectly good product from ending up in landfill, and saving money as well. We can reduce waste by buying secondhand, looking for products made from recycled or organic material, and possibly even asking ourselves whether we really need to buy that product or whether we could perhaps hire or borrow it, or swap or share with someone else, or even do without it altogether. When we do decide that buying something is the right decision for us, let's commit to investing wisely in a good quality product that will last, and taking proper care of it so that we can use it for as long as possible. The next three R's are reuse, repair and repurpose. Single-use plastic seems to have become public enemy number one, and for a very good reason. Images like this one of a tiny seahorse drifting through the ocean with its tail wrapped around a cotton bud have really brought home to us the reality that an item we use just once, in some cases just for a few seconds, goes on to exist for hundreds and hundreds of years and can have catastrophic effects on wildlife and the environment. Single-use items are often only as disposable as we allow them to be. Obviously, there are some things that would be unsafe to use more than once, but the vast majority of things can be reused if we adopt a more mindful attitude towards our waste. I'm sure we've all, at some time or another, bought a drink in a plastic bottle that we later went on to refill with water. The bottle was designed to be single-use, to package the drink inside it that was the real product, and then be thrown away. But there's no reason at all why it couldn't be reused indefinitely until it's no longer fit for purpose. Plastic takeaway boxes are similar. We've all got some of these tucked away in a cupboard at home, but for some reason we're not as likely to reuse the plastic tubs like the ones that ice cream come in. Why is that? They're just as effective at storing leftovers and could still be reused several times before being recycled. And of course, it's not just plastic that can be reused. Glass jars, although easily recyclable, can be reused for years. They're airtight and watertight, and glass is safe to use in the microwave, dishwasher and freezer, which makes them great for leftovers. As I've been paying more attention to the things I throw away, especially non-recyclable things, I've set myself the challenge of seeing whether I can find a way to reuse something at least once before it goes in the bin and it hasn't actually been as hard as I expected it to be. 
I know lots of people save food packaging to reuse in children's play kitchens. That's a great place to start. We have a mountain of bath toys at home, but here are some of our most used ones. A plastic scoop that came with stain remover, but was never used. A little plastic jug that I think was supposed to be for adding rinse aid to the dishwasher, but again, we never used it. A cowpole syringe that had been used so many times that the markings have rubbed off. And a straw for blowing bubbles. None of these is suitable for curbside recycling and all of them could so easily have ended up in landfill. They might still end up there eventually, but for now they've been given a new lease of life. And even if you can't come up with a way to make something useful yourself, you may be able to pass it on. Lots of schools and children's groups collect things for junk modelling. Packaging from parcels and other deliveries can also be reused. You might have a friend who runs a business from home, or your own workplace might have a scheme for reusing packing materials. If they don't, why not suggest it? There are all sorts of ways that things can be reused and repurposed if we just change our mindset and redefine what we mean by rubbish. Another big way of reducing waste is by repairing things. My dad loves to talk about how they don't make things like they used to. And sadly, this is true. Things can be produced so cheaply, at least in monetary terms, not in terms of how much they cost the planet, that we'd rather spend less on something and then get rid of it or replace it when it's no longer fit for purpose. How many of us would think about looking into repairing seemingly cheap items like toasters, kettles or hair dryers? We tell ourselves that compared with the cost of buying a new one, it's not worth our time, or it's not worth the cost of the replacement part, or it's just quicker and easier and we want to get it done. We don't often think of this as waste, but it is. The examples I've given here are small appliances, but it's actually true of all sorts of things. The clothing industry, for instance, is a huge problem when it comes to waste. Every year we buy and sell 2 billion t-shirts globally. It can take 2,700 litres of water to grow the cotton needed to produce a single t-shirt, and cotton uses more insecticides and pesticides than any other crop in the world. The journey cotton makes from farm, through mills and factories and warehouses, to the shop where we eventually buy the final product, can cover around 20,000 miles. Cotton has an enormous carbon footprint. Clothing production accounts for 10% of global carbon emissions. And this is escalating. As production becomes cheaper, the demand is increasing. You may have heard people talking about fast fashion. Between 1994 and 2004, worldwide clothing production increased by 400% to 80 billion garments per year. So when we go into a shop and we see a t-shirt being sold for a few pounds, this doesn't even come close to representing its true cost, to the environment, to the health of the workers who produced it, not to mention the questionable labour practices along the way. Fashion is now the world's second biggest polluter after oil. It's also worth remembering that paying more for a t-shirt doesn't necessarily make a difference, it might simply mean that the brand's shareholders are making more of a profit. When we recognise the true worth, or rather the true cost, of the appliances, textiles and other products in our homes, it makes reusing, repairing and repurposing things seem much more worthwhile. 
and is perhaps a reminder to take proper care of the things that we have. So we've talked about refusing and reducing. We've covered reusing, repurposing and repairing. And that brings us to our last two R's, recycle and rethink. Recycling is fantastic, but it's not enough. The waste coming out of our houses is just the tip of the iceberg. For every one wheelie bin full of household rubbish, there are 70 more wheelie bins worth of rubbish higher up the production stream just to make all those products in the first place. In the UK, we're doing really well and currently recycle just under half of our household rubbish on average. This is brilliant and it's definitely something to be proud of. But as we can see, it's still not making much of a dent in the overall waste being produced. Lots of us will have been aware over the last year or two of journalists and filmmakers uncovering the truth of what happens to a lot of our plastic recycling. Documentaries like the BBC's War on Plastic expose the fact that 665,000 tonnes of our plastic recycling is being exported every year to countries in some of the poorest parts of the world where unlicensed processing plants dump mountains of imported waste with no intention of recycling it, and leave it to slowly break down, releasing microplastics into the air, the ground and the water system. Sometimes it's burnt or set on fire, releasing billows of toxic fumes. And some of this is our waste. It's our plastic pots and tubs that we've separated from our general rubbish with the very best of intentions. It's not our fault that our waste sometimes isn't being recycled. But once we know about it, I think we have a duty to try and make it right. Fortunately, as it's become more public, there has been more pressure put on manufacturers and government officials to make sure that our waste is recycled responsibly. However, I think it makes it clearer than ever that recycling, although a brilliant process, is perhaps not the solution we think it is. It's an imperfect and non-ideal partial solution to a huge problem. Recycling is a good thing to do, but really we should be seeing it as a last resort when it comes to waste management. It should be our last port of call once we've already exhausted all of our options for refusing, reducing, reusing, repurposing and repairing the item. And when we do recycle, let's make sure we do it as efficiently as possible. There are over 400 councils in the UK and between them they have 39 different sets of rules for recycling. In addition to this, as councils invest in their recycling schemes, more options become available, which means the rules are constantly changing. So let's make sure that we're completely up to date with our local council's guidelines. You can find them on the website. It's also worth remembering that just because something isn't suitable for curbside recycling, that doesn't mean it necessarily has to end up in landfill. Plastic bags, for instance, are collected by lots of larger supermarkets. TerraCycle partners with big brands to fund recycling for products that can't be recycled at home. They have drop-off points for a huge range of different things. Toothbrushes and toothpaste tubes, baby food pouches, plastic film, packaging from crisps, biscuits and cosmetics, even empty blister packs from medications. These items are sent to specialist recycling plants and turned into things like playground equipment and benches. An ideal solution because they won't rot or rust and they don't need repainting. And finally, we need to rethink. 
to assess the rubbish we're producing and to address areas of our lives that we may be able to improve on. Many supermarkets are beginning to trial unpackaged or refillable options for groceries and household items. This appears to have been put on hold over the last year due to completely valid concerns about coronavirus and keeping things as safe as possible. But hopefully, once the pandemic is over, supermarket bosses and customers alike will display a renewed enthusiasm for lower waste shopping options. And with more and more people making the switch to online grocery shopping, there are a huge number of online zero waste shops. A few months ago, we started an Oddbox subscription for fruit and vegetables. Oddbox works with farmers and suppliers to rescue fruit and veg that would otherwise end up being wasted. Often these are things that supermarkets won't buy because they're too big or too small or a strange shape or a funny colour. Sometimes they're things that have produced a bumper crop this year, meaning that the supply outweighs the demand and if they weren't rescued from the farm, they'd simply be left to rot in the field. Once a fortnight, we receive a box of fruits and vegetables that are mostly unwrapped, save for the cardboard box they're delivered in. It feels good to know that every single item in the box would otherwise have gone to waste. And there are so many other companies offering a similar service. As I mentioned earlier, waste management and poverty are intrinsically linked. If we could reduce the amount of plastic being produced by supporting alternative, more sustainable products, businesses in wealthier parts of the world will invest time and money into reducing waste and its damaging impact on the planet which will improve the lives of everyone, including those in the poorest parts of the world. It's been said that every purchase we make is a vote for the kind of world we want to live in. As Christians who have been tasked with caring for creation, loving God and loving our neighbours, let's make sure that our spending is aligned with our values. There are literally hundreds of simple, sustainable swaps that can be made to suit all lifestyles, all budgets and all ages. If we can change our habits and our values as individuals, businesses will change their tactics. If businesses change, global institutions and governments will follow suit. At a time when the whole world is looking for a strong lead in how to tackle this crisis, let's make sure we're not left behind. <laughs>